Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Transmission 7 of the Liberate Yourself podcast, where we are cultivating our personal sovereignty in these transitional times. For this episode, I'm joined in esoteric discussion by the hermetic artist Seven Bremner. Seven and I talk about the benefits of psycho-spiritual alchemy on one's path of individuation and the role of these ancient practices in everyday life. And yes, it is a fun and fabulous synchronicity that after recording our conversation, I realized that 7 was going to be Transmission 7 of this podcast. I love these winks from the universe to let us know we're on the right track. A quick note, this will be the last episode in Season 1 of the podcast as I take a short hiatus to revisit, redesign, and evaluate this project for the Mars retrograde period this summer. But more about that after you take in this inspiring conversation. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Happy new moon. Oh, thank you. You too. Thanks. Yeah. It's feeling like crackly and, and lots of movement. Like it's even very windy here. I love that with Gemini. There's, mm-hmm. There always seems to be wind and, and lots of movement involved. Like, okay, time to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's refreshing, circulating the air. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, we're moving into summer now with the solstice. And Yeah, I know, I feel, I just feel like everything is kind of culminating. It's like, okay, go, like, especially with Mars um, going across the south node lately, or it's actually going across the south node three times with the retrograde, and it's like this cutting of cords oh, to, wow. you know, go forward. Anyway, which is fun, but um, yeah, thank you for for joining me. Uh, so, Seven, the reason I wanted to have you on is because you're an amazing artist, and I'm learning even more multifaceted um, than I already knew. Like, you're even teaching a class coming up on on alchemy and and uh, the creative process, which is really cool. But um, just recently. You had a gallery show at Mortlake & Co. Bookstore here in Seattle that's run by... It's a it's an occult bookstore and gallery that's run by William Kiesel of Ouroboros Press, which is really cool. Um, and it was so phenomenal to see your artwork in person because, I mean, the subject matter specifically, of course, is, is alchemy and the occult themes, and, but there is such a richness to them that I really can't put into words and that's what makes great art of course mm-hmm. um but yeah how was that how was the show oh it was great um mm-hmm. a lot of people came yeah yeah it was really busy <laughs> yeah, it's a very prime location so we get a good flow of people coming through and mm-hmm. um Michelle also draws a lot of people with her work and it was a great night a lot of fun yeah 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 um so you're you're self-taught right yeah which is incredible so I mean there's definitely going to be a link in the show notes to go view your work but knowing that um the intricacy and detail of your art is very profound um do you feel like 
for one, you know, kind of if you'd like to share just sort of how you got started. I think I'd like to hear how you got started just on the path of the occult in general um, and then how your artwork kind of came came from that or alongside that. Yeah. Well, I was interested in, in mystical pursuits from a pretty young age, and I think part of that was an influence from um, my mom's side of the family and my mom specifically. She was the one that introduced me to Tarot when I was about 13. Ah. And I had an uncle who was also a painter um, who was very spiritual, and he had a, a big influence on me when I was a kid. So when I was a teenager, I started pursuing these things on my own and just got into anything that I could um, find, you know, that seemed to indicate something deeper than the world I was seeing around me with kind of, you know, materialistic drives and consumerism yeah. and, yeah, mm -hmm. all of that. So I, I read Carlos Castaneda and Paramahansa Yogananda and started going to shamanism workshops and getting really into that and learning about laying on of stones and laying on of hands and um, a lot of new agey stuff at that yeah. time. Yeah. You always find that mixed in, <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, that's what I had access to, you know, the more exactly. like, esoteric stuff I hadn't quite gotten to yet. Well, that's the whole point of it, right? That it's still mostly hidden in a way. And yeah. it finds you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... I, that kind of defined um, most of my time I would spend looking at that sort of stuff and um, going deeper and deeper and exploring new realms of anything mystical that I could find. And um, I went to school for geography and environmental studies and hadn't really considered being an artist mm. um, until I was done with school and I moved up here to Washington and started meeting other people that were working as artists in the community and I got inspired and I realized that it was something that I could do and that I wanted to do. So mm -hmm. I just kind of set my mind to it and started teaching myself and picked up my oil, oil paints again, which I hadn't touched for a long time. And yeah. And while I was learning how to paint, teaching myself, I was also studying polarity therapy, which I think you wanted to talk about today too, but yeah, definitely. So those two things kind of uh, developed together about starting 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. and Where did you move from, just real quick? Uh, I was in Colorado from? for 10 years before. Okay. My dad was Air Force, so I've been all over the place. Gotcha. Yeah. So now you're in Olympia, Washington, and... Yeah, there's a there is um, probably thanks to when we had a, we had a discussion about this, probably thanks to the growing um, uh, rental costs and just cost of living in Seattle. There's a lot of artists in Olympia now, probably more than ever. Right. Like there are. Is it, uh, yeah. 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 It's definitely a creative hub. So, yeah, you picked it up again. And that makes that that's starting to make sense if you had this like really kind of imprinted foundation of the occult and and alchemy and hermeticism that would be what would come out in your artwork did it start out that way did you start just like immediately doing like the abstract work that you're that you're doing much. symbolic work I guess pretty much a large mm -hmm. motivation for me was giving a visual to some of these things that I've been learning about since from a young age 
mm-hmm. my understanding of energy and the body um, and other realms and kind of wanting to give some kind of imagery to go along with that understanding. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that so much because it it's beyond words, right? Yeah. The, the other, these realms that we've, you know, a lot of us have been sort of uh, traversing our entire lives. There aren't words for it. Um, and that's what I love about hermeticism and about the occult. I don't think it even attempts to put words to it. It, I mean, there's an attempt, but it, there's not like a trying too hard because there's the understanding that language is limiting. Right. Mm Um, and artwork is definitely, a great way to have a visual representation of, and that's what your artwork looks like. It does look like these other realms that, that we go to in meditation or trance states. And they feel very, very like home. I mean, I'm a Pisces, so maybe that's why, but (laughs) they, they just feel like, um, these wonderful, um, landscapes or mindscapes that, um, a lot of us would, you know, love to be in that are very, it's very representational and symbolic of, um, deeper work. Like you can, I can tell you've done, you're doing your work and you've done your work in, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. I definitely put a lot of time into every painting and a lot of the painting happens away from the easel. You know, it's a process that I'm going through and sometimes I can't even be working on the painting because the process has kind of taken over. And so, right. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Like the painting, the, cause I feel that way. Like the work, like, um, the actual projects are just the end result of the act, like the personal work, like the personal work takes up time. Like, it does. I, <laughs> and it, it may look like, I talked about this in a, a previous transmission with Clementine, how like, you have to schedule time for that. That's basically, it looks like nothing on paper, but there needs to be like an organic flow because you don't know when you're going to be processing some emotional stuff or transmuting like transmutation, shadow work even just takes, can take days and you don't know where it's going. And yeah, I feel the same way that like, I think a a lot of people, especially in, that's, that's one of the things that's really changing. I feel with society that I'm excited about is I think people are starting to give themselves more permission to, to have that time and not think that we have to be the, in the doing mode all day, every day. Like if you're an artist, that doesn't mean that you're sitting there painting all day. It means that the painting is a result of the deep inner work that you're doing. Mm. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to be putting words in your mouth, but no, that's so true. It's so true. And with this kind of painting in particular, it's it's an actual, I see it as an alchemical process where whatever's happening inside of me is just as important as what happens externally. And it's, it's a dialogue. Mm-hmm. So you can't rush the process. And one of the things yeah. that I've run into being a professional artist and doing this full time is that I've started to have deadlines for paintings, you know, to try and meet um, yeah. timelines for shows coming up and stuff like that. And it's creating this pressure on my process. And, um, 
in ways that has it is not working for me and so i'm deciding to kind of like intentionally slow down my pace and starting to say no to things because that process is too important to rush and it's it's more important than being um keeping up with the pace of this career that yeah career yeah (laughs) (laughs) but that's been an interesting thing this last year or so as I've been getting more and more shows and almost like two shows a month um this year that's fantastic it's but I know like it's it's almost too much so and are they for um so, like existing paintings that you already have because I feel like that's what the Mortlake and Co show was yeah and you just have them there for a time yeah exactly but the process of moving them around and then going up to Seattle for shows and gotcha and I have been producing new work for other shows so the Mortlake and Company show um happened just as this other show at True Love Gallery was ending oh okay yeah yeah so I had those Sweet. two going on and you know, it's it's my own fault for saying, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I want to be in that show, and I'm going to produce one or two new pieces for it. Um, yeah, no. So, but that's kind of, there's a pressure to do that in the art world, to mm-hmm. be constantly producing and to do more and more. So it's it's a balance of, of wanting to keep up because I want to develop my career, but also um, not uh, not rushing the work. Do you feel um, a modicum of competition in the art world still, or um, or maybe not competition, but yeah, that pressure to to be out there because is is it perceived as like that's how you're going to be successful or get noticed or or things like that, or is it? I think I know. have felt that, and what I've realized is that. Uh, as long as I'm staying true to where my my real impulse lies, that success happens. That I don't need to try so hard to, to work at the pace of other people or compare myself to other artists because that's not really um, it's not really how it works in a magical it, sense. It's true. It doesn't. I'm learning that too. Like the more I try it doesn't work like it falls flat even a lot of times especially when because we're all we can all do this compare ourselves to others and like well how what am I doing what is my place in the you know in that landscape but that it's not it's not correct at all I mean that's what we're coming out of I love that you say that because I've been going through that same thing it's like you just following your inspiration and following what feels true, it, that actually does, it's not linear and it's not logical. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't really exist in reason. It's actually that higher octave of creation. Yeah. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. Um, and so then it, it requires of us to, to not be attached to any, any identity that we have about ourselves, you know, like, I have been called to do more writing, and that's part of what I'm doing on my my Patreon, but it's a different process from the art, and it takes up a lot of time as well, so then the art is kind of slowing down a little bit, and I have to release my attachment to that identity as this persona, as this artist that is doing a specific thing, 
and move in a different direction because that's where my inspiration is and that's where the energy is and yep. yeah as long as I follow that I feel like things kind of fall into place all around me and I meet the right people and mm-hmm. and I have the energy to do the work whereas if I'm pushing to do this thing that I think I'm supposed to do oftentimes I just get tired and it's hard and and it's never as good right like exactly. it's not right. <laughs> yeah um that's so true That's so true. Just following inspiration is such a big key because that's our, I mean, however you want to look at it, whatever um, lens you want to look at it through, that's our, that's how we're being guided, I feel. Yeah. And it's the most, most organic and true. Um, Yeah, you also, you are also a writer and a, a poet. Yeah, talk a little bit. I love the the typewriter poetry that you do at the, is it the Ballard Farmer's Market? Yeah, I do it at the Ballard Farmer's Market on Sundays and then the Olympia Farmer's Market on Saturdays. And I also work at events. Like I was just up in Gig Harbor um, at this little boutique where I wrote poems for two hours for a fundraiser. And so, so I'll cool. do stuff like that, weddings and events. But the markets are really my favorite part of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's such a wonderful to be at the markets in the morning everybody's like happy and they're getting their fresh wonderful food and there's a lot of energy so it's it's a perfect place for the poem store and it's what how does the poem store work so the concept is your topic your price so people come up they give me a topic to write a poem about can be anything that they want Uh, It could be just a word, it could be kind of like a little story that they share with me, or maybe they're going through something and they need some reflection on it. It could be a gift for someone. And um, I tell them to come back in like five or ten minutes, and I spend some time working on their poem, and they get to decide what they pay for it. Wow. It's, It's like an oracle or doing a reading almost. It's very much like that, yeah. Wow, I hadn't thought of that, because it's essentially, yeah, I'm just like, wow. It works best when people are willing to be a little bit vulnerable, you know, and open themselves up a little bit, and that happens quite often, and people, they don't expect it, so it gets really interesting, and uh, I mean, a lot of people will kind of give pretty superficial topics, you know, and it can go pretty deep still. Yeah, I have a lot. Of I think that's great. Yeah, I think that's great. You can kind of like not force people there, but sort of show them what's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe take them outside of the mainstream and like in the undercurrent a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I used to that's be pretty so heavy-handed with the esoteric stuff when I was writing poems for people because I was like, I want people to like no wives. <laughs> but I've toned that down a little bit, and so I try to like find a middle ground between where they're at and maybe trying to open them up to something a little bit deeper than the everyday. I, I feel that same way about doing tarot readings. It's like you have to meet people where they are. Yeah. So I was doing the same thing. It was like super empowerment tarot, you know, like find your purpose and everything, go deep. But um, <laughs> but the truth is it really does help people when you just meet them where they are and yeah. can be fluid in that. What's your? I'm curious, what's your astrological chart like I forget your sun sign um, told me. I'm a Sagittarius and I've got Sag right. rising and a Taurus moon 
Right, right. I was like, there's something very earthy but visionary about you. That's a great combination. Very cool. Um, yeah, well, do you want to talk about... So, you kind of introduced me to this idea of polarity therapy. Mm-hmm. And, lo- and congratulations, you just you did just get certified, correct? Yeah, I got recertified because... Recertified. I, I did the whole program. It took me about five years to get through it because I did it as a distance student. And... Um, I graduated, I moved to Eugene, I was going to open my business as a polarity therapist, and I did everything that I needed to do, I got all the licenses and everything, and then I realized that I didn't have any motivation to find Mm. clients, and the thought of having clients every week was really intimidating to me at the time, and my passion was really with the painting, which I'd been developing all while I was learning polarity therapy. And everything that I was learning was being transmitted into my paintings. And so I just kind of went with that and decided to to put the polarity therapy on hold and focus on art. And I've been doing that for the last five years. And I'm just now coming back to polarity therapy, or last three years, sorry. And um, had to get recertified because I let that lapse. And I'm very happy that I passed because it was not an easy exam. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So polarity therapy is based on the hermetic principle of polarity, correct? It is. Yeah. So um, I wanted to kind of just give a little bit of primer on what that is um, so that maybe you can explain the, how it works in an, an energy uh, energy medicine or energy healing. Is that what you would call it? Yeah. Modality? Okay. Yeah. Um, kind of way. And I happen to have my trusty Kybalion here. <laughs> um, I just wanted to read the actual like principle of polarity, even though, of course, it's a bit cryptic, but just to yeah. give a little foundation. So um, everything is dual. Everything has poles. Everything has its pair of opposites. Like and unlike are the same. Opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. Extremes meet. All truths are but half-truths. All paradoxes may be reconciled. So the reason this is really exciting to me is because the principle of polarity makes a lot of sense to me, especially um, applying it to magical practice. Um, Instead of basically what it's saying is that there is no separation. It's basically the principle that lets us know there is no division. There is only... Um, there's basically a pole, and there's just two opposite ends of that spectrum on the pole. So dark and light are essentially the same. They're just different degrees of that thing of you know lightness or darkness. And um, so how knowing that? So basically, real quick, the way that I apply that with magic and just sort of transmutation. Um, alchemically, especially, that's what we sort of learn with the the vertical axis of existence and transmutation is that you know it starts with the base level of dark. It's not that you like create something completely new out of this dark raw matter. It's that you're ascending it up this spectrum or up this pole of into lightness or more uh, crystalline version of what that raw matter was. And we're speaking, I'm speaking psychologically and metaphorically here because that's how inner alchemy works. But would you agree with that or do you want to add anything? How do you understand the principle of polarity? 
I think you put it, I think that was great. And I definitely agree that, it, you know, it's, it's one pole and you've got the opposites, but they're part of the same energy. And you have to be okay with paradox, you know, to say like love and hate are pretty much the same thing. And mm -hmm. um, with polarity therapy, you are still working with those opposites because you're moving energy from a positive to a negative pole. And so you've got that receptive, um, expansive energy and movement of that to open up blockages in the body. But at the same time, realizing that it's all just life energy and it knows where it needs to go. You're just helping it along. Right. So how would, um, what would an example session of yours, you know, look like if someone was interested in, and, and that's the thing is I'm sure clients don't know that they want polarity therapy. Like that's probably not something they're looking for, even with energy healing, but what, what kinds of results or, or what things can that help remedy? You know what I mean? Well, oftentimes people will have physical symptoms, you know, like pain or skin problems or headaches or tension, all these things that happen. Um, and they don't realize that there's an energetic component to that or that maybe there's an emotional component to that. And so what polarity therapy does oftentimes is helps people connect those different levels of their experience and understand the patterns that are playing out um, as a whole. And that's where real healing comes in. Instead of just addressing like, oh, okay, so you've got a sore muscle, you go get a massage and you work it out. This is different because, yeah, you've got the sore muscle and clarity therapy can address that because it works with the tissues with different levels of touch. But we're also looking at the energy of it. And as you work with that, emotions tend to come out. And then as people have that experience, the emotion connected with their physical symptoms, they put it together and they start to understand how those systems relate to each other in the body. And so that's a really magical process. And it's all related to the polarities, um, the nervous system, whether we're in a, a sympathetic, active, you know, reactive state or a parasympathetic where we're resting and digesting. And those two mm -hmm. systems kind of polarized oftentimes. Um, Hmm. So the aim of the work is really to find the balance between the extremes of the opposites. Equilibrium. Yes, that neutral mm -hmm. middle middle zone. I see. So if someone were having pain, you would essentially be helping, yeah, helping it come to the middle point of that pole. And by applying, do you apply, <laughs> this is getting really <laughs> technical. I asked like really detailed questions, but would you be um, like applying light to that in order to sort of move it along the pole or? You could see it that way. Um, so in polarity therapy, you always use two hands on the body. So your right hand gotcha. is generally the, the positive pole and your left hand is the negative. So mm -hmm. you place these on the body corresponding to positive and negative poles of the body. So, gotcha. yeah, <clears throat> essentially the head is positive, the feet are negative, umbilicus okay. is the neutral pole. But every part of the body can be broken down like that. So, for instance, your, the tip of your finger would be positive, 
that middle section would be neutral and the lower section of the finger would be negative. So you could, you know, do polarity therapy on just the finger. Oh, Every okay. part of the body, the face, the torso can be looked at that way. Very cool. Okay. I was trying to get a visual of like how the process happens. Yeah, but there's, you can visualize while you're working and using light. And even oftentimes I'll have the client do a guided meditation picturing light moving in different mm -hmm. directions to help them open up the, the energy blockages. Mm -hmm. Do you work with like the chakras yeah. as well? Or? Yeah, that's a big part okay. of it. Gotcha. And the elements. Very cool. The five elements. Earth, water, fire. The five elements. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, you do so much. <laughs> How do you like juggle and, and balance it all? I mean, I know you just, you follow inspiration. Um, but I, I love that like you were talking about living in Olympia and, you know, kind of stripping down your expenses so that you could operate like this and, and, you know, really diversifying where your energy goes. Cause I feel like that's what a lot of us are doing generationally and probably from here on out it's more like having a portfolio of not a literal portfolio but like having a portfolio of skills yeah so that we don't get mired in one if you just do one thing all the time you hate it like you end up resenting yeah. it no matter what yeah. it is yeah I think I hope that more and more people are able to do this because I, I know what that feels like to just have to do one thing and it's torture for me anyway Torture. Me too. Maybe, maybe it yeah. works for some people. It's simple, but I don't think we're really meant to do that. When you talked about how you came across, or how alchemy came into your life, how do you use it, or how, what what role yeah. does it have in your life? Well, I um, I started coming across alchemy when I started reading Carl Jung, so. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I've been interested in psychology for a long time, and his work really just took a hold of me, and I've been working with that um, perspective of alchemy for quite a while. And I'm, I'm calling it now, like, psycho-spiritual alchemy. Yes. As, yes, I love psycho-spiritual. The word itself explains yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I do hope to work with operative alchemy, which is the actual lab work at a certain point, but I'm not there yet. And I recognize that. And so I'm just kind of taking this other aspect of it as far as I can in the meantime. Mm -hmm. And so for the layman, maybe, you know, if, if someone doesn't know what we're speaking of, do you want to kind of give us an introduction yeah. as to what that process is like? Yeah. So most people know of alchemy as this sort of, um, antiquated version of chemistry, you know, this naive um, perspective that you could turn lead into gold and these kind of foolish alchemists trying to do this in their labs and getting mercury poisoning, all of that. But mm -hmm. people actually were able to transmute metals and they are today. There's working alchemists doing that work. But there's this whole other component to it, which Carl Jung was able to elucidate in his work of a psychological process that he related to the process of individuation or coming into your higher self and embodying that in your lifetime. And it takes a lot of breaking down of all the conditioning that we're born into and raised with and exposed to during our lives. So that work 
is related to these different alchemical processes um, that could be performed in a lab, but they can also just be performed in the laboratory of your own experience within the vessel of your body. And that's happening on an internal level, but it's also reflected in something that you're doing on the external level. And that's the really magical part of it. It's not just a psychological process that you're feeling inside. You see it reflected in your reality. The microcosm and exactly. microcosm. As within, so yeah. without. As above, so below. These things aren't separate. And that's what you learn with Hermeticism and alchemy, is that it's all one mind. And it's when you start to understand that, it gets really interesting because you realize that everything that happens internally is somehow going to be reflected externally. And it, you know, it causes you to be really careful about mm-hmm. what's happening on your, in your internal awareness. Yeah, it definitely gives you a window into you do create your own reality. Yeah. Like, abs- like literally, absolutely, and you start noticing that if you don't like something about your life, it's not that things are happening to you, mm-hmm. it's a reflection of, and a lot of times, yes, it's it's usually conditioning, programming that, and like I said earlier, needs to be transmuted, not like it needs to be removed, that's not, um, that's not what inner alchemy is, it's about taking, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that we're given our circumstances that we're born into so that we can transmute it, so that we can realize our power. And by, and not, I don't even see it as overcoming, but it's kind of like the, it's, because the first operation is calcination. You have this raw matter base material, which could be your conditioning, um, emotional patterns that you have that are very negative and still causing negative circumstances in your life subconsciously. Um, and you recognize it and then you take that and you start to essentially put it on the fire. Calcination is like the flame, right? Yeah. (laughs) Trying to make sure I'm getting this right. Um, yeah, you just, the process uses all four or five elements in order to move that particular aspect of your your being through the process of eventually getting it to this pure crystalline substance, which is, you know, essentially, I I feel your power, you can call it many things, but um, is definitely a more pure version of that aspect of yourself. And I just, I just feel like we were given these, you know, traumas or experiences in life in order to go, you know, if you're really aware, in order to go through that process and, yes, individuate. I love that you bring up Jung and, and, and the idea of individuation is so key with finding your sovereignty. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that's the whole reason, you know, whole reason I'm doing this project is for people to find ways of doing that very process. And I think inner alchemy, the, I mean, because I love psychology too and, and mysticism and magic and all of these things. And really the most powerful and what everything kind of comes back to is, is the alchemical process. Exactly, yeah. Totally. Do you agree? Have yeah. you 
all, out of all the new age shit, like everything comes back to yeah. alchemy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that old too, you know, it comes mm-hmm. from thousands of years ago. And, um, I feel like it was a gift that was, I mean, that's what most, you know, hermeticism is named for Hermes mm-hmm. and, uh, the messenger of the gods. And basically, you know, depending on, there's many stories about where the tradition comes from, but it was seated here in humanity somehow, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like it was a gift that was given to us and the people there, there's people that they say that when you're seeking, like it, it just finds you or it, it will find you at the right time. It's not something you go down to the local bookstore. I mean, you can now, but even then, if you're reading it, you may not understand what it's saying because um, occult, occult wisdom and occult knowledge is cryptic for a reason. It's like it doesn't play on this linear part of your, of your, it doesn't play on your linear mind. It doesn't work that way. It actually like vibrates at this frequency. I feel, um, that is so deep. That's how it feels to me. It just feels like it lays into me on the cellular level and you just kind of know that it's truth. And to be connect, it feels like you're connected with everyone in history that has ever felt that. Yeah. With this wisdom. Do you feel the same way? I definitely feel that way. And, you know, I went through some phases where I was like, wow, I feel like I could just be reincarnated from one of these alchemists in the 16th century or the 15th century. But now I see it more as like, well, yeah, of course. It's not so much about reincarnation. It's that there's this one mind that's kind of experiencing itself and alchemy has become this timeless language with which to um, transmit that experience over the ages and it's like a Mm -hmm. an access point that yeah it does kind of find you in a sense if you're seeking I think you'll end up finding it at some point Um, but it is veiled and I think the reason for that is because, like you said, the truths are so deep that if you just had them presented to you outright, you wouldn't get it. There's something about the process mm-hmm. of seeking and trying to unravel these um, allegories and strange poetic alchemical treatises. And there's something in that work that is alchemy. And it's just Mm-hmm. You know, taking all this totally. stuff that maybe you don't understand completely or maybe you get little parts of it, but there are pieces that don't make sense. And it's the process of reflecting on that and contemplating that that yep. fosters the alchemical work. Totally. That's how I feel like it gets... It, that's how I feel like it teaches because I'll read, you know, a, a chapter, like maybe one principle or something, and it doesn't happen as you're reading it. It's like, okay, you start to notice it in the macrocosm, out in the world for that week or whatever. That's sort of how I would teach myself. And, yeah, it come it comes into your awareness in those non-language ways, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you do, you, like, you'll, you'll read it and you'll start to see it um, in your experience. And I think that's really special because it, it's like it's teaching you specifically. Like, it feels very sacred yeah. in, in the act. It, it's... It's not like something that everyone is, multiple people are doing. I think that's one of the things, the hard parts that I always had with like, I don't know, not to be too down on the new agey movement or or whatever, but you know, some certain principles that 
they learn it's like, oh, a lot of people are doing this the exact same way and it must be this way for it to work and la la la. And it doesn't, I feel like alchemy, the principles are very, very personal. Like that's, you learn actually by your own personal experience. How, speaking of, how do you, um, I'd like to hear more about like how you teach that. Yeah. From that perspective. The way I've been working with it to present it in kind of a, a simple, direct way is to use the the fourfold stages of transformation in alchemy. So that seems to be the most direct, simple way to look at it. So you've got the negredo, which is the blackening, which is the beginning phase of the work, um, it's the putrefaction, the death, the dark night of the soul, you know, and you... you um, you come up against some kind of friction in your life, something that you, you're chewing on, you know, that's just um, a difficulty. And by embracing that, by going into it, that starts the process, the alchemical process of kind of self-reflection and meditation on whatever it is that's going on for you. And it can be really intense. And for me, in my creative process, that's often... Um, something that I just have to endure and work through. I'm not always the most creative when I'm in that space, but there's something happening and I recognize that. And so accepting that maybe there's nothing happening on the canvas, but there's something happening internally. And as hard as it might be, as long as I can just kind of do the work and be there and be present with it and honestly look at myself then there's this light that comes and there's a hope that comes through and all of a sudden you're in the albedo phase, which is the whitening. And it's this, it's like grace, you know, it's like something has come through to lift you out of this horrible putrefaction and you see that there's something else beyond it. It's often said that this could be mistaken for the end result of the work and you think you've like reached enlightenment or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's definitely more work to be done but for me in the creative process this is often when something is transmitted from that putrefaction so there's some kind of um, growth that happens and then I can start to express that and the other thing that happens in the putrefaction is um, sometimes a cathartic creative release so there's so much intense energy mm -hmm. and you're just battling these demons with these dragons and facing some really difficult things about yourself, you can use that intensity, um, sort of like the calcination, you know, take an intense fire to it and burn it up. And so in that you can do kind of cathartic creative work that I find really beneficial. It's maybe not mm -hmm. um, going to be for anybody but you, but so then maybe right. it will be beneficial for someone else to see. Um, mm -hmm. and then I think the more refined work that I do comes after that phase. So the albedo and then the following phases, um, in the fourfold system, the third phase would be the citrinitis or, um, the yellowing xanthosis. And that one is a little more murky to find information on. It often gets kind of taken out of the process. And so then it's just left to three phases. Um, huh. 
The fourth phase is the rubedo, the reddening, and that's sort of when everything comes together and there's like a new awareness that comes from the whole process. But I think that yellowing is an important stage, and I don't like to leave it out because I think there's something in there. It's it's like a, a waiting, a patience. So you have this initial realization in the white phase. Mm-hmm. So like the epiphany. Yeah, the epiphany. The, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then you kind of step back a little bit, and you realize, oh, maybe that wasn't the whole thing. And things aren't look different, mm-hmm. but they are, you know, and you're kind of integrating that that information that you integration totally it's like after doing psychedelics you need your integration yellow period afterwards after the bright white of 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 epiphany yeah that's a very good way to look at it so you have your psychedelic experience where all of your constructs are broken down and that would be kind of like vinagredo say where it can be really intense and scary and then you come down and you've got this clarity and you know beautiful experience and reflection and then then you've got to take some time to integrate what happened and there's no saying how long that time is going to be but during that time you can you can do some work to try and understand what happened to you and what you learned and express that in different ways but then the rubedo is really where whatever you experience becomes part of you and you move on to another level of experience and you've integrated that you can share it with the world in a very clear way. Um, and I don't see this as a one-time process by it's no. continually unfolding. It's not necessarily linear and there's often a lot of different alchemical operations that happen within those four phases. Right. And even like overlapping processes. Yeah. I, f- I, I feel, I mean, I feel like, um, yeah, because it is cyclical, right? Yeah. yeah, I feel like I'll be doing some, you know, shadow work on, on one thing and then sort of reaching the epiphany on another thing. And it's just kind of all encompassing. It's not, yeah, not linear at all. Yeah, and different levels that of was really beautiful. occurring. Yeah. Mm hmm. That was a really beautiful explanation. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) You know what was going through my mind, because this is what I do. Have you, um, have you thought about offering any sort of like alchemical therapeutic consulting? That's, you know, that's actually what I'm moving towards. And that's part of why I wanted to get certified with polarity therapy, because, um, I, I do have a vision of kind of working with, with alchemy, um, also with Egyptian concepts of, you know, the afterlife yeah. and death and dying. And I, I see this happening. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet, but yeah, I do want to integrate alchemy into the healing work that I'm doing. Definitely. I mean, I could see that being a great service that you offer, even if it's like, um, you know, remote yeah. or something. Or even if it's like a course that you create or something like that. that that's what I do. So that's my yeah. <laughs> my entrepreneurial mind going. But um, it's really it's really important information, and I think that it is it can be distilled, pun intended. It can be distilled down into 
you know, those, those four processes or it, because I think that a lot of people come to or hear about alchemy, the occult, and it just seems like so overwhelming, all of the information. It's like, oh, I can't get into that. I'll never get out. Or like, I'll just never know everything I need to know. I feel what it really comes down to is just those simple processes and it's your interpretation. It's up to you to interpret them. Do you agree? I mean, anyone can come to the process and get something out of it or perform the process without even having to be so steeped in it like we are. Yeah, I think, you know, there's something, I don't think everybody has to go as deep as we necessarily want to go. It's not going to be for everybody, but there is an aspect of it that is very simple and direct. And that's kind of what I've been getting closer and closer to is being able to present that in a way that's not so intimidating, not so esoteric and just Mm -hmm. kind of basic, you know, these are creative processes that we're all going through and giving it some imagery to work with and a way to understand it. So it's not just this kind of confusing thing that, yeah. Yeah. Just like we were saying with meeting people where they are, I think that that's what we need to do with explaining. And that's part of why I wanted to to have this discussion with you so that it would take away kind of the the mysteri- the deep mysterium of it yeah. and just see that it is a psycho-spiritual process that is very accessible. Yeah, and I think that's really so. what the world needs right now is for it to be accessible. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of, in the alchemical texts, you know, there's a lot of... Um, People that have said it needs to be kept secret and you can't just go sharing all these secrets. And that's part of the hermetic tradition, you know, hermetically sealing a, a vessel is, you know, to keep it airtight so nothing can escape. But mm-hmm. I don't think that's the situation that we're in in the world anymore. Mm-hmm. I think the more people that are aware of these concepts, the more chance we have as a species to actually change our situation absolutely i mean there's so many different things that are events that are intersecting at this time and i i feel like yes in the past it had to be kept secret because you would be killed and that's one aspect of it also if it falls into the wrong hands you can't just use it willy-nilly because um you can do real harm to yourself and others um, talking more in a, a magical yeah. pers- perspective, of course. But um, I think also the fact that it's hidden is sort of cryptic, too, because I think that the access to the information, it's not something that you would necessarily... I feel like the you know you are the vessel yourself, and that is what remains hermetically sealed, so to speak, and the, the process happens within you. I don't think it's necessarily something that you would do like as a group endeavor. I mean, I'm probably wrong. I'm sure that's being done somewhere, but it really is a super personal process. Yeah. I mean, even just astrologically, if you look at the the Pluto and Scorpio generation, which is millennials, essentially, um, you know, Scorpio is about the occult and what is hidden and those things. So with that generation, things have been, like, they are unearthing the things that were formerly hidden and are very comfortable with the occult, with astrology, with tarot, with all of this. So it's becoming very mainstream Mm -hmm. because it is needed at this time. 
I mean, our essentially, our, however you want to look at it, our power has been taken away in a lot of ways because if we don't realize that, you know, if we if we don't realize that we can transmute negativity into our power, then yes, we have been disempowered. And so now, if things are going to change, it's more important than ever for us to have access to these processes because that's how the change is going to happen. So that's, that's what I feel yeah. is happening. Yeah. The change happens There's... inside first and then it's reflected externally. Exactly. <laughs> well, seven, this has been really fun. Um, we'll have to do it oh, again for too. sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. If people want to, there's so many things going on with you, but if people want to get in touch with you, um, let them know how to do that. Well, my, my website, I keep that updated with events and classes that I'm teaching. And maybe you can have a link to that in the oh, show totally. notes. But that's marlena7bremner.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow me there. Um, and I have the Patreon where I, I go a little bit deeper with my work. And there's a lot of alchemical writings that I share on the Patreon that you won't see anywhere mm -hmm. else. And yeah, the show coming up, or the class coming up is on June 25th. It's a Monday from 7 to 9 p.m. And it's at Praxis Arts in Georgetown, Seattle. And um, it's filling up quick. I think it's already over half full. So if people want to sign up for that, it's a good time to do that. Um, send me an email at sevenbremner at gmail.com to register. Oh, cool. And as far as polarity therapy, you're, I'm sure you'll have something up on your website when that is available as yeah, well. Yeah, still working right? out some of the details of my practice. So um, I'm open to people getting in contact with me about it, but I'm not quite at the point where I'm scheduling sessions. So, yeah. Gotcha. All right. Okay, sounds good, Seven. Well, thank you again so much. Thank you. This was wonderful. I hope you enjoyed this transmission with alchemical artist Seven Bremner. To learn more about her work and get in touch with her, visit marlene7bremner.com. The link with the spelling will, of course, be in the show notes. So guys, in honor of Mars Retrograde this summer, I'm taking a short hiatus from recording and releasing episodes. With five, plus, I think it's five planets in retrograde this season, we're being collectively asked to revisit our dreams and revise our paths of purpose. The Liberate Yourself project is bigger than just me, and I'm giving myself the space necessary to let it be born through me. I'm thinking around three to four weeks before the next season launches, and in this time I'll be working on redesigning the graphic branding and getting the Instagram account for the podcast going to attract more listeners who could benefit from the wisdom shared here. You can go ahead and start following at Liberate Yourself podcast on Instagram if you like. I will be available for elemental branding and digital design projects if you are at a point on your entrepreneurial journey where you would like some help realizing your vision into digital reality. That's my specialty. You can visit tristadedman.com and click on design to find out more about how we can collaborate on your vision. And I'm also open for some astrology and tarot readings this summer to help you illuminate yourself and discover your purpose in this life. Go to tristadedman.com and click on guidance to find out more and remember to use the code LIBERATEME when booking to get 20% off. So until the show commences, guys, I invite you to revisit and review your dreams alongside me so we can co-create this new paradigm into existence. Take care out there.